Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Neil Phelan, Jr., preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. Good morning. Enjoyed our song service. Felt the Lord blessed us in that and appreciate the good prayer that we've heard this morning. And Brother Dan couldn't have introduced my subject this morning with anything any better because I want to talk about our afflictions this morning. I know this is a time of the year that can be very difficult for many of the Lord's people. You know, afflictions come in all kinds of packages. Uh, We can have health problems, loss of loved ones, family problems, and as Brother Dan said, we pray that the Lord will remove our afflictions and uh, get us beyond them in this life, give us some peace and some kind of comfort. Uh, But I know there are many things in this life that we cannot change. Uh, there's mistakes that we've made that we cannot undo, and uh, there's losses that we can't reclaim, and there's some problems that uh, we can't fix ourselves. Uh, you know, I don't have a message this morning that's going to tell you how to fix all your problems and how everything's going to be okay tomorrow, uh, but I do know that uh, we have a church, and uh, I'm thankful for this church. We have a faith. We have a God, and uh, there's many things that we have this morning. We know that some of the best people have gone through affliction, so uh, I guess that's my first point this morning is to tell you that you're going through an affliction in your life, a trial in your life, but some of God's best people have gone through afflictions. It doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't love you or doesn't love us when we're going through an affliction. We need to remember that, a trial or a problem. The Lord promised us that we're going to have some problems. Uh, In Zephaniah in the Old Testament, I love what he wrote in the uh, third chapter, verse 12. He said, I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. Now, to me, that is a beautiful description of God's people. Poor and afflicted. Now, now that's not something that when you're a child, you're growing up and you're thinking, you know, I'm looking forward to being... (laughs) an afflicted and poor person in this life. It's not talking about money. It's talking about the poor in spirit. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, if you have a poor spirit, you recognize your sin and your depravity, then uh, you're a very blessed person because uh, that shows that you do belong to the Lord when we are that way. So it's not something we're going to sign up for when when we're growing up, but yet... I believe uh, the Lord's people, for the most part, are going to go through some trials and they're going to go through some afflictions. As I said, some of the greatest people in the Bible that we read about went through some great trials and sorrows and sufferings, didn't they? In Job 29, he says, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when His candle shined upon my head, and when His light I walked through darkness. As I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me. You know, uh, Job wrote those words and the dirt was still fresh on his children's graves. He was looking back on a time earlier in his life when he didn't have the trials, the tribulations that he had gone through. You know, we look back sometimes and and do remember a former time when we had no trials, we had no tribulations. But my friends, (laughs) they're necessary for us in our lives. They're good for us in many, many ways. And Job 
handled himself very well in his affliction, didn't he? He wasn't murmuring and complaining and talking about his sad case. This morning I came in and Sister Henriette and Sister Vanette are smiling and telling me they're praying for me and, and they've lost loved ones. But yet they're coming to God's house and they are a wonderful example to us as Christians. Sister Belinda's mom's sitting over there this morning singing. She's got her magnifying glass out. <laughs> what a wonderful example for us in the midst of our afflictions to see how they have behaved themselves in the midst of their afflictions. In the Psalms 39, David writes this. He said, I was dumb. I opened not my mouth because thou didst it. Remove thy stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. David said, Lord, you did this. This, this is in your... I'm not saying that the Lord kills people. Don't get me wrong. But I am saying that God's sovereign over everything that happens in our lives, isn't He? He could prevent anything He wanted to, couldn't He? That doesn't mean He causes everything. But He did say a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without the Father. And you are of more value than many sparrows. David said, I, I, I was dumb. I, in other words, I'm not complaining. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to go around with a sad countenance. I know there's a time to mourn. But it was not his conversation in his life. He said, you did it, Lord. You know about it. I read a book one time, one of the best books I think you could read in the midst of an affliction. It's called The Mute Christian Under the Smarting Rod. It's by uh, Thomas Brooks. We, I put it in our library down there. And it talks about how that we should behave ourselves in the midst of our afflictions, that uh, we should be, we should not complain. You know, David was afflicted. Uh, Brother Dan read this morning about David. Many of the Psalms of David talk about his afflictions and some of the great sorrows that he went through in his life. We know that some of the sorrows that David went through were due to his personal sin. Some of them were things that God brought into his life to make him a better king. We can look back in our lives and we can say, well, you know, a lot of the sorrows I've gone through are because of my personal sin. I was reading a book the other day. It was pretty good. It's talking about your golf game. And it says, everybody tries to play a perfect round of golf, but nobody can. You get out on the golf course and you're starting out and you're going to play this great round of golf and you get a triple bogey on the first hole and you're mad the rest of the game. <laughs> you know, my friends, you're not going to live a perfect life and God knows it. So don't try. Don't try to live a perfect life, but we can try to live a better life, can't we? We can try to do better in our lives, even though we've all made some mistakes. You know, we can always be looking back in our lives. Last time I was looking back in the woods, I ran into a tree. So just remember, when we keep looking back in our lives, we're going to make some more mistakes. So the Lord knows that we're not going to be perfect. David says, and the 102nd Psalm is the one I'm looking at this morning, because it's titled, A Prayer of the Afflicted. And David talks about his afflictions. And how we are when we're greatly afflicted. Now, I know some here have been afflicted more than others. Um, some, of, some here have gone through great trials in their lives, and some of, of you have not gone through as great a trial. And yet, sometimes I see those who have gone through the greatest trials bearing up and having a smile on their face more than some who haven't gone through great trials. Maybe it's because they hadn't been through many that they don't know how to handle it. But David says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, well, let me, verse 1, it says, A prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before the Lord. 
Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Now that's what we want when we're praying. Lord, hear me, please. Please incline your ear to me and hear what I'm saying. Hide not thy face from me the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me in the day when I call. Answer me speedily, for my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as a hearth. My heart is smitten and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. I am like a pelican in the wilderness. I am like an owl in the desert. I watch and am as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. Yes, my friends, in the midst of our afflictions, that's what we feel like. We're alone. We feel alone. We feel that we're in darkness. We don't want to go places. We don't want to be around people. We don't want to do anything. We just want to be out there until we can get past the sorrow that's in our heart. It is a lonely place, my friends, when we're full of sorrow and acquainted with grief. David was in that place. I'm sure in his life he looked back and thought about all the mistakes that he had made. He remembered his sin with Bathsheba. He prayed for the Lord to deliver him from it speedily. But you know, my friends, sometimes it doesn't come like that, does it? Our deliverances are not as speedy as we would want them. The apostles themselves went through great afflictions. The Apostle Paul was going through a great afflictions when he wrote this particular epistle in 2 Corinthians. He said, For this thing I sought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My friends, the Lord may not remove your affliction, but He'll walk with you through the middle of it. And our strength is greatly increased when we're going through our affliction, if we'll look at it in the right way. Even Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, wasn't He? How can we expect to be more like Him if we don't go through some afflictions in our lives and through some trials and through some sorrows? Well, there is some things that can turn out for us to be good in the midst of our afflictions if we think about it in the right way. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, in this very epistle that I just read to you from, in the fourth chapter, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal for our light affliction. You know, compared to eternity, whatever affliction we have down here, it's just a light thing. It's nothing. We sing that song when we've been there 10,000 years. Our praise is no less than a day. You know, eternity is so great we cannot imagine it. And I think the Apostle is wanting us to compare and to look beyond the temporal and to recognize that whatever it is we're going through down here, it's going to be nothing when we get to heaven. Just a short little thing. 
This word worketh, it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It works for us. And we think, well, it's working against me. <laughs> this is working against me. <laughs> no. God says it's working for you. You say, well, I'm getting some wrinkles and gray hair over this. Well, you're going to get them anyway. So it is working for us. They do work for us. Um, one person, a quote that he said is, he said, they, work for, they promote us and make us work and promote the exercise of grace in us. So they really do. You know, if you think about that, how that we do work harder when we're going through an affliction, don't we, in, in the in graces of God. I mean, we, we pray harder when we're in an affliction, don't we? You know, we may not be praying very much, but when you get in affliction, you're going to start praying. Right. <laughs> you're going to start seeking the Lord's face and asking Him to come speedily as David did. Right now, Lord. <laughs> Fix it right now. Fix it right now. We exercise our faith more when we are going through an affliction because our eyesight is raised a little higher when we're going through an affliction. It's not looking at the deer stand in the fishing hole. It's looking up at Jesus Christ and trying to find Him in the midst of our furnace of affliction. We exercise our hope more when we're going through an affliction. We're hoping, hoping, hoping that God will hear us. Hoping that He will change us. Hoping that He will hold us up in the midst of our trial because we feel like we're going to faint, don't we? That word faints used a lot of times in the Bible when we're going through a trial that we're just going to faint, we're going to pass out. Sometimes we think we're going to die. You know, Job said, though the Lord slay me, I will still trust in Him. So if we get to the point we think we're going to die, well, you know, if the Lord wants to kill us, let Him do it. You know, we don't want to do that ourselves. Right. This trial is probably not going to kill you. You're going to get through it. There's some people that's gone through worse. They've been in the same trial that you're in. They've lost things too. We have to remember that when we're going through our trials. We exercise some repentance, don't we? We're working that repentance a lot. We should be when we're going through a trial. We need to be asking the Lord, is this something I've done? Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty this morning for something. I'm not saying that you've sinned and that's the reason you're going through your trial, but you know what? It might be. Right, that's right. If you're not looking at your past life when you're going through a trial and you're sick and you're suffering and you're in the hospital bed or whatever you're going through, you're a fool. Right. Because you may need to do some repenting to get well. <laughs> that may be the answer. The back door for you on your sorrows and trials is you come to this place and you recognize that your afflictions are due to your sin. And we exercise some godly sorrow that needs not to be repented of when we're going through all of these trials and sufferings. As I said, our trials do make us more conformable to the person of Jesus Christ. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. How can we expect to be like Him if we don't go through some trials? Our trials are like a chisel that a sculptor uses on a beautiful piece of marble and our trials are just chipping away at us and forming us into something more conformable to the person of Jesus Christ. Our trials are like that fire under that crucible that's burning away the dross and refining the silver that's in there and makes us more, makes us better people, more like the person of Jesus Christ. What would some of us be today if it had not been for some of the trials that we had gone through in our lives? We need to stop and think about those things. 
You know, not only that, when we're going through a trial and suffering, when we come through it and we're going through it, it makes us more able to comfort other people, doesn't it? Maybe somebody that's gone through the same trial that you've gone through. That's what we should do. We should look at it like that and say, you know, I've gone through this trial and I've gotten through it or I'm in it. I'm going to seek out somebody else that's going through the same trial or somebody else that's been in it. Because I have experience now. Yeah. And I know, what they're, I know what they feel. I know what they're going through. I know the words they need to hear from my mouth. They, I need to comfort people like that. In the same epistle, and it seems like this epistle has a lot to do with going through trials. But the Apostle Paul tells us that we are able to comfort others. In, in the first chapter, he said, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So we're able to comfort other people and we're comforted by God. And I believe even in comforting other people, it gives us some comfort ourselves. We receive a great degree of peace. I, was, I came across a definition of comfort that this person used. And they used an illustration. And then they gave the definition. They said the illustration is like if you're out in a cold, dark night and you've got a long ways to go and you're carrying a heavy burden. Comfort is that person that comes along and takes your burden and walks along beside you and gives you some comfort. That's what, that's what comfort is. And he, he broke it down, uh, the, the word down. He said C-O-M stands for company and fort stands for strength. It is strength through company, through others, through Christ. And that's what we need, isn't it? Oh, when we're going through a great trial in our lives, we need some strength, we need some comfort, we need some help from other people. We need the person of Christ in our lives. And I believe that's the reason a lot of people receive very little comfort in their life. They don't have the Lord in their life. You know, there's nothing better than to have the Lord in your life. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be a model Christian. Right. And I'm not saying that I'm one. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm saying that you can be poor and afflicted and, and you may be the chief of sinners but you can still have the Lord in your life. And I believe if you get Him in your life, you're going to do a lot less sinning and a lot more praising towards the Lord. You know, our uh, trials and suffering make the world a, lot, world a lot less attractive, don't they? I've already mentioned that. You know, we begin to look at other things other than all those things that we were finding our pleasure in. They may have kept us from some huge mistake or sin, you know, I believe the afflictions of many of God's people are sent for a reason, and that is to keep them from getting involved in the world and destroying the testimony that they otherwise would not have had if the Lord had not sent that trial into their life. And Psalms 119, David said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. I think there's a lot of people today that are here. Many of us would not be here were it not for God's afflictions. David said the Lord afflicted him. Before he was afflicted, he went astray. Sometimes God's afflictions bring us back. Bring us to God's house. Bring us to God's people. 
bring us to a place that we're interested in the things of God, that we're interested in His Word. We need to be comforted. When we come to God's house, we want to hear some message of comfort. We want to know that God loves us. We want to know that we're forgiven. We want to know that we have a place beyond this mortal veil, that we're going to be with God one day in glory. We need to know all those things. But it's the affliction that brought you here. It wasn't because you're such a good person and one day you decided, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to be a good Christian. No, my friends, many times it's because we were a bad person. We weren't living the way we should have lived. And it was through the affliction that we are brought to God's house. And we thank God for that, don't we? Yes. Would you rather have never been afflicted in your life and be out in the world? Or would you rather have been afflicted and brought to the Father's house where you could have fellowship with Him and His people? Afflictions can humble us too, you know. I've seen a lot of people who thought they were somebody that were greatly humbled. But God greatly humbled them with their affliction. That's when they really became somebody. Yeah, that's when God afflicted them. The Apostle Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure. God wasn't going to let, even though Paul had seen visions, he wasn't going to let him be exalted above measure and be the the chief apostle out there, he said, I'm the least, I'm the greatest of sinners. I'm the least of the saints. Lest I should be exalted above measure. Through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. He says that twice, lest I should be exalted above measure. You know, his name was Saul, which meant great one, but he wanted to be called Paul, which meant little one. That's a good mindset for God's people. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked, David said. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? What great blessings that we have here in God's house. Yes, we but we do. We have a God. Sometimes I remember that in a trial. I have a God. I have a faith. I have a church. I may not have anything else, but I got that. I'd rather have that than anything. It's better than anything. You can't find comfort in money. You can't find comfort in big houses, big cars. You can't find comfort if you're the most famous person in the world. Some of the most famous people in the world are the most miserable people in the world because they don't have a God. They don't have a faith. They don't have a church. <laughs> but we have all those things. We have a balm in Gilead. We have a Christ. He transcends all of our problems. Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You might say, well, you know, how does that even help me? The Lord's overcome the world, but I'm still down here in the world. Right. And, you know, I have these afflictions. Well, He transcends the world. He doesn't have to change the world or our affliction. But He will one day. He will one day. You know, we're told in the passage I read to you, while we look not at the things down here, temporal, but we look above, don't we? We look above. We're looking above at things which are not seen. That's, that's where we need to be looking. 
in the midst of our affliction. I was reading about old age the other day, and it said old age is an incurable disease. <laughs> it is. Has anybody cured old age? Uh, I, re- I was reading an old article the other day about these pills that you could buy in this pharmacy. It was back in the 40s, I think, and it cured everything. Arthritis. Uh, well, I'm not going to go through the list, but it would fix any problem you had. I'm thinking, that's a miracle drug. You know, the fountain of youth. Yeah. We're going to fix old age. We can't fix old age. But God will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My friends, you're not going to be old forever, okay? Right. You're going to get old, and that hair is going to get gray. But you're not going to be old forever. Because the Lord's going to change you. That's not our final destination. In the 110th Psalm, David said, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power and the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of youth. Christ has the dew of youth. He's, he's never old. He never gets old. We're going to be like him. Paul said, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, I'm getting a little older. I, I kind of like that little thing Leon made for me get up here, you know. <laughs> You know, I remember Brother Charles said, I thought that was a good idea when we made these big steps to get up here. But he's, when he was older, he said, I don't think that's such a great idea. <laughs> you know, we're getting older. We're all getting there. You're going to get there. Right, right. You can count on it. One day you're going to get old. You might be thinking about what you're doing while you're young. But uh, when we arise, we're going to be like Christ. Old age is going to be taken care of. While we look not at the things which are seen... But if the things which are not seen, I'm looking at something I'm going to be one day. I'm not going to be old. I'm going to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. My body is going to be glorified. That's what I want to be looking at in the midst of my affliction. Amen. Don't look down here. Look up there. Remember, that's the thing that's eternal. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing something one day, aren't you? Amen. You looking forward to seeing something? That's what we need to be looking at. We need to be looking to what we're going to be seeing. I'm thinking about what I'm going to be seeing a lot more now than what I used to when I was young. Aren't you? The older you get, the more you're thinking about what I'm going to see. I remember when I was about six or eight years old, my mom and dad and my cousins and uncle and aunt, we went to Barton Coliseum. I think it had just been built. And we went to see the rodeo. We pulled up to that big building. And I looked at that thing and I thought, what am I going to see in there? What am I going to see in there? And we went in there and we got to see little Joe and, and Hoss from Bonanza. We saw all kinds of things. It was great. But my friends, I'm getting ready to see something much better than that. Aren't you? You need to be thinking about it. you got something coming in your life that's going to be far better than Barton Coliseum or anything you've ever seen down here because everything down here is temporal. But that's eternal. Have you ever wanted to see an angel? I've always wanted to see an angel. But you know, I'm not going to see an angel. I'm going to see thousands of angels. Thousands of angels. I'm going to see them. 
In Revelation 21, John says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all their tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Those are temporal things. And he sat upon the throne, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. They're true and faithful. That's something that you can count on as one of God's children. It's going to happen. He's coming back. And we're going to see some things that who could even explain down here? Who can imagine what it's going to be like when the disembodied souls of the saints come back to reclaim that body? And Jesus Christ comes with them hovering above the earth and the graves are opened. And we are changed and we will be called up to be with Him in the air. My friends, that is as sure as anything. You know, Dan said there's something sure last week, taxes and death. But I'm going to tell you something. This is more sure. Because you may not die. <laughs> this is a sure thing for God's people. That's great comfort to us, isn't it? While we look at things above. You know, that gave David a lot of comfort in his life. We talked about his sorrow, his trials, his pain, his suffering. The Psalms he wrote, the things that he went through in his life. He lost a child. He lost a little baby. And he fasted. He knew God's hand was upon him because Nathan the prophet had already come to him. He said, the sword's going to be in your own house. What must it have been like for David to have known that he had a child dying there and it was his own fault? His own fault. But my friends, David took some comfort. When the child died, he quit looking at temporal things. He looked up and he said, he can't come to me, but I can go to him. David was thinking about that time that he's going to be resurrected and he's going to be with God in glory and he's going to see that little child. My friends, this morning, you've lost some loved ones, but I'm going to tell you something. Look up. Because you're going to see him again. Amen. You'll see him. You'll see that child. You'll see that beloved husband and wife. You'll see him again. That's a promise. Amen. God makes promises. We need to be looking at those promises and looking up and looking beyond this life because there's something far better than what we got down here. Amen. You know, the best time to give God glory is in our trials. It's the hardest thing to do but it's what they're given to us for. Anybody can give God glory when they're walking down Hallelujah Avenue. Everything's going good. I'm a Christian. Praise the Lord. All these things we hear people say. The hardest time is to get a smile on and get to God's house, be what we're supposed to do, be what we're supposed to be in the midst of our suffering and our trials and affliction. That's what Job did. Job gave God glory in the midst of his trial. That's what the book's all about. Giving God glory 
We need to be asking the Lord, what do you want me to be in this affliction? Use this affliction to make me more like your son. Use it to burn away some of the dross in my life and refine the silver. I think David's affliction made him a better king. You know, I was thinking about that the other day. David was greatly afflicted, wasn't he? Do you ever read where Solomon was very much afflicted? I don't I don't I couldn't really think about any time Solomon's been. Look what he turned out to be. He was a child of God, but he turned out to be a mess. I'm thinking if the Lord would have afflicted Solomon like he did David, he'd have been a better king. He'd been a better king. We can thank the Lord for the afflictions that he's given us. I appreciate your attention this morning. I hope this has been a blessing to you. It'll help you get through some of your trials and some of your afflictions. Well, that was a wonderful sermon today, and I know I needed to hear it. I think the idea that he set before us is on a lot of our minds. There's a lot of suffering going on and lots of things to pray about. You asked the question, what are you looking for? And I think as often as not, God's people struggle with the fact that we're looking at things that are never going to provide us any satisfaction. The world puts a thousand distractions up between you and God, and they're shiny objects. You know, they get your attention. They occupy your thoughts. It's money, it's fame, it's attention, it's politics, it's any number of things that you can be chasing after that will occupy your mind and get you spun up. So... The question I think we need to ask ourselves today is what are we looking for and what are we looking at? Are we looking to the Lord or are we looking to the deliverance of temporal things in this world? And if you are, that is never going to satisfy the spiritual mind and never going to give you spiritual peace. The second question I'd want to ask is when you finally suss out what am I looking for, I would ask, do you need a telephoto lens to see it? The Bible says, draw nigh unto God and He will draw nigh unto you. It may well be that you don't have much of a view of spiritual things because you've taken up a position that's so far away that you'd need a telephoto lens to even have any kind of clue what you're looking at. We can create spiritual coldness in our lives simply because we've taken up a location that is too far removed from the kingdom of God. Draw nigh unto God, He will draw nigh unto you. Draw nigh unto His church and His people, and you will see the Spirit of God moving within the lives of people, and you'll be a part of it. It's not just a matter of what you observe, it's also a matter of what you participate in. As you pray for one another, cry with one another, struggle with one another, deal with those afflictions, share those burdens with one another. Incredibly important that we draw nigh unto God and draw nigh to one another. You're going to see that in the kingdom of God. You say, well, I feel spiritually cold today. I bet most of you have some leftovers in the fridge right now. And if you go home for lunch or someday this week and you're thinking, well, I'm going to heat up a little dinner and you turn on the stove and you never move those leftovers onto the stove to warm them up, there's a fire there. There's an opportunity to warm something up. But because of the location of that food, it's never going to get warm. If you draw near to the fire, however, the refining fire that is available in God's kingdom and preached in His Word, you're going to find it warming your spiritual heart and increasing your spiritual inclinations in this world as you discuss these things with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So we all are dealing with afflictions, but there's a remedy in this world and there's a lot of comfort to be found among God's people. 
There's a lot of people who have had similar experiences to the ones you've had. We've had a number of tragedies in our assembly in the past year and in previous years going all the way back to the beginning of this church. And many people have lived through the same sorts of things that you're struggling with. And you should avail yourself of the comfort and wisdom of talking to them about those things. And I think you'll be blessed in that. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Neil Phelan, Jr., preaching from one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things that are so common in the religion of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.